This episode of The Taylor Stevens Show is brought to you by listeners, readers, and patrons. If you'd like to learn how to support this podcast, please visit www.patreon.com slash taylorstevens. Stevens, the New York Times best-selling and award-winning author of kick-ass international thrillers, and this is The Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt one word at a time. Taylor, we were talking um, a week or so ago about the idea of... We had we had talked a lot over the course of uh, the last year, 18 months, about brain issues and your brain breaking and things like that, and then over the holidays, I went through a, 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 a much uh, lower pain version of what, what you went through, but it's just like my brain was constantly going, 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 and I had to eliminate inputs in, into my life to, to get things to calm down, and thankfully that worked. And I know for you, you're a person who cannot just deal with like one thing at a time. It's, your whole life revolves around you've got a million things going on and you're trying to juggle things and it's all, you're just trying to make it all happen at the same time. And we were talking right before we started the recording about something that you have discovered that's helping you. So I'm assuming this is some sort of high-powered narcotic or alcohol. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I wish. Um, and to, to back it up just a little bit, to give a little more clarity is that it's not that I have to juggle. I mean, I do have to juggle a lot of things at the same time, but it's more that my brain never shuts down. So I'm very ADHD. Um, even medicated, it it doesn't really shut me down. It, it, shut, it slows me down enough that I can somewhat focus. But for me, the hyperactivity is inside my brain. And we've talked before about... Um, the way that I think in concepts instead of words and how like my brain is just like this constant lightning storm, just go, 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 go. So like even doing things like sit, watching a movie is really hard for me to just sit still and watch a movie. I've got to be doing something else at the same time. There's not enough input fast enough um, on movie unless I really have to focus on it to keep me there. And a lot of times it's just can't even, I'll just get up and go do something else or do something else while I'm watching the movie, whatever. Um, and so to, to just be able to be still and, and lay there doing nothing, uh, or, or have a day where I'm doing nothing is almost, I don't even, I can't relate to that concept. I've always got to be doing something. And, um, I recently discovered something that just shuts it all down. Like it, it makes it go away where my brain is just completely blank and silent. And that is doing jigsaw puzzles. And I, I had known a while, like a long, long time ago, I knew that I enjoyed puzzles, but I mean, who has the time for that? And, you know, they're, they're expensive. You have to have a space and, you know, there's just, I just never did them because they're, I don't know, just didn't cross my mind or whatever, you know, last time I did a jigsaw puzzle was a long, long time ago. And, um, then I was when I was doing the book tour, I think it was for Liar's Legacy um, it was in January last year. Um, I, I was visiting a friend and, and with a friend and that friend had puzzle set out on the table. And I noticed that when I would look at the pieces and pick up the pieces, I actually could like 
see the way things fit together and my brain shut down. But I only did it for like 10 or 15 minutes and then, you know, it was kind of like, oh, that's interesting. And so when this whole pandemic thing hit and, you know, whatever, a few months ago, um, I was just in a store and there was this puzzle. It was really cheap. It was a thousand pieces and it was pretty. I was like, oh, I'm going to get that. And opened it up and, and I would do it in the evenings when the television was on. Somebody else, you know, the other guys are watching TV and so I was going in the background and I that when I would start working on these puzzle pieces, it's like I shifted into a completely different, just, it wasn't, it was just different. It was like silent and calm. And I was like, huh, that's interesting. So I got another puzzle and I, I, I can, I blow through the thousand piece puzzles really fast. Um, the more complicated they are, the better. Um, because when I do them, I, I, I don't like looking, I, I can't look at the, you know, some people follow puzzles, looking at the guide at the pictures and, and I can't, it's like, I don't want to like that, that annoys me. It's just, let me see these pieces. Let me see the colors. And my brain finds them, finds where the pieces go just based on the shift in the, in the patterns and that, that hunt for the patterns and the pieces, like it just knows where they're supposed to go when it picks them up. It's not like a savant, like not like that, but it, it's a, it's a, it's a way of, it's like inside my head, it feels complete. Like it found it, it connected and it's so absorbed with seeking out the connections there in front of me that everything else goes silent and I can fall away into it for hours. If I let myself unmedicated, which is just the most bizarre thing for me to have that, that level of calm, focus. And so I've started doing that now um, a few nights a week, just as a way to escape or pull away from the chaos inside my head as sort of, you know, people say, stop and smell the roses, take time for you. Well, that's all well and fine if you're capable of stopping to smell the roses. Um, And this is my version of stop and smell the roses, a way to just sort of like step away from all the, the, the chaos and the trying to figure out how to make stories work and how to, the, the, the mile long to-do list and sort of recharge that other side, the creative side of me or whatever it needs. And I have found it to be, I, I, it's not like all of a sudden I'm magic at the computer writing <laughs> stories, but, but I do, I do find myself more, uh, focused in the times that I'm writing. And it's not a magic bullet, but it's helped. And so I'm just like so excited about that. That is really cool. And when you when you told me about this, my, I got so excited and was so anxious to talk about this. I was never, I, I have never been a puzzle person. And because we have grandchildren around a lot, Julie buys puzzles for them. And the older one really likes to do the puzzles. So he, he will ask me if I'll do the puzzle with him. And when he first asks, it's like, okay, yeah, we can sit on the ground and, and we can do this together. And I'm mostly like pointing to him. And it's, you know, these were really, a couple years ago, they were really simple puzzles. And now, now he's four, four and a half or close. No, he's just a little over. Yeah, he's four and a half. 
And um, so the puzzles are probably reaching the level where it's the best I could do. And I am finding myself becoming really engaged in them. And so we'll get halfway through with a puzzle and he'll say, hey, let's go play with the trucks. And I'm like, okay, you go play with the trucks. I want to finish the puzzle. <laughs> and I'm, awesome. I'm finding some of the same thing. I suspected if I tried to do like a thousand piece puzzle, I'm not sure I would find that as relaxing as you do, but I'm going to try it now because I, I could see spending an hour or so trying to do that just as a way of, of quieting the mind. And in the library, you know, we talk a lot about libraries and, and the way we both love libraries. In our beautiful main library in, in Collier County, there is a table that's always there with a big puzzle that's always in process. And you can just sit down it. and work on the puzzle for a little while. And I've seen people do it, and I'm like, that's weird. But now I want to go no, to the library and I, work on yeah, the puzzle. That's brilliant. I find myself now, it's so ridiculous. I will, like, browse eBay or browse Amazon looking at the bigger puzzles, like <laughs> 2,000 pieces, 3,000 pieces. Like, oh, my God, there's a 9,000-piece puzzle. And a part of me just wants to buy it, but I, I know that that's ridiculous. Like, I, I receive people who have heard about my new obsession. Like, I receive so many puzzles for Christmas. Oh, gosh. So like, yeah. I, I, I have a few that I have to work through first. And, and I should probably work my way up from the thousands to the 1500s to the 2000s before I, you know, go off and buy a 9,000-piece puzzle. But the idea of a 9,000-piece puzzle just, it makes me giddy with excitement. <laughs> Can how big how big is a nine thousand piece puzzle? It's, do you need it like a a, yeah. a really big table to to do this on? Or or a big piece of plywood or something, which is what I have to do now. I mean, the puzzles I'm doing now are not big enough to fill the plywood, but um, the house is really small, so it's not like I can just take up the dining room table in perpetuity with a puzzle. So I went and found um, a big piece of plywood, and I do the puzzle on the plywood, and when I'm breaking from it, I'll take another piece of wood or a, like I have a big, huge, um, like a cork board. What do you call those? Bulletin board that is a little bit broken. I don't use it anymore. And I'll turn it upside down and lay it on top of it because of the cats, because the cats oh, love yes. to sit on puzzles uh -huh. and love to play with puzzle pieces. <laughs> so I, I, I use the ottoman in the kitchen, in the, the living room, and it just has a big, huge board on it. And that's my puzzle board now. That's my spot where I go and I sit. And so I'm still in the middle of whatever's going on around the house. And I'm not like ignoring anybody, but I have something to do that just, it doesn't matter if other people are watching TV or whatever. I can just be in my happy place. That's really neat. And I wonder if I, I've heard a, a lot of our neighbors talk about, uh, I should, a lot, a few, a few of our neighbors talk about the, the joy that they have with adult coloring books. And I wonder if that's a similar kind of it's thing. I suspect it, it might is. be for other people, like they're experiencing that, but I've tried those. And I, I just, I, I after two minutes, I'm like, oh, this is boring. I gotta stop. Okay, I right. I, I've tried those. For some reason, it's something with the puzzles and the shapes and the colors that are already there and the way they all fit together. It just snaps. My head. Well, Taylor, with your new love of puzzles, this episode is for you because <laughs> we're getting back into the short story project here and we're going to start looking at possible premises for stories and it's kind of a little bit like a puzzle trying to figure out what I'm going to do with this short story that will be the short story project. So with that, let's cue the music. 
don't know exactly how far we're going to get on building the story story today because, well, we took up a lot of time with that chit-chat. Sorry, guys. So we've ta- I've talked a lot about this worksheet that I have sort of put together over the years to try and build out the premise, build out the story, whatever. And I've, I've pulled these, these questions and ideas from multiple books that I've read over the time, time and combined them. And when we started talking about this, Steve and I, I sent this to him and I thought, well, you know, every time I've tried to fill these out for my own books, they've, they've been helpful, but also not. And the reason I felt that they weren't entirely helpful is because they they pulled off of a different structure, I guess, or figuring things out. And so I was like, well, let me see if I can find a way to make my own worksheet based off of the concepts that I've been teaching in Hack Craft. Because, you know, as we've talked about on this show, there are when it comes to the story side of writing, there are three aspects that drive everything. If every scene either has to be developing character, uh, showing conflict, or moving the plot forward, those are the three drivers of story. And those show up haphazardly across this worksheet. And I was like, well, I wonder if there's a way to develop a story project that is more focused in that sense. And as I start going through this, I'm like, okay, this is going to be a big project because there's just, it's so intertwined how stories come together. And that's always been my stress in trying to build out the Hack the Craft program is they're so intertwined. How do you separate them into different modules? So I've not been able to do anything much with the worksheet. But one thing I've noticed when I was, and I should say yet, but one thing I've noticed as I was reading through it is that it starts us off with building a premise and, you know, it starts asking like, well, what are, what do you want to write about? What are topics of importance to you? And what are the possibilities of these topics? And it's not until you get sort of the third page that it starts asking you questions about genre And so that's more like the story building worksheet. So the first is building a premise and then there's a story building worksheet. And I'm like, you know, I don't know how it is for other writers, but I know for me, when I'm thinking about writing a story, before I can even think about what I want to write about, I've already got an idea of the genre. I know if I'm going to be writing a thriller or I'm going to be writing a mystery, or something along those lines. And I already have a sense of if it's going to be a standalone book, or if it's part of a series. And I feel like those topics would drive the issue of what do I want to write about? And so in my mind, I'm thinking, well, this is all wrong. This is backwards. It should be the other way around. First, we just talk about the story. What kind of world do we want to set it in? What kind of this? What kind of that? and get the framework for the story itself sorted out before you even start talking about what the premise of the story is. But again, they're intertwined. And again, that should could just be me. I am putting this out there to you, Steve, and I guess to our listeners as well, is 
for those of you who have experience in building out a story for a book, what comes first? Is it the chicken or the egg? <laughs> so, Steve, your opinion, please. Well, for me, it's, it's characters. Um, well, I mean, there's a fairly limited number of things that I want to write about or, or genres that I want to write in. Like, I, I would not... Uh, sit down and think, okay, I'm, I'm going to write uh, an urban fantasy book. That's just not, I, I don't read in that genre. I know it's very popular, but that, that's not my thing. I would run a, want to write a mystery or a thriller. Uh, that so that's, means, that's pretty, li that limits that world right there. I don't even have to right, think about that. It's, right, it's but one that or the is, other. that's your starting place. Is yes, you but I don't even think about genre. it as a starting point. I, I, well, then, then it would go to the character's because in in my mind the characters are what drive the story more so than the story and that's probably a failing of mine that I that no, I think I don't that know. way it's it's very no it's very chicken and egg um which came first because and like I said it's very intertwined because it's almost like you simultaneously need like the genre is going to determine the world uh the possibilities for the world like if you're writing um, a thriller, uh, let's say you're writing a gritty noir, right, uh, story, um, you're not going to be setting, I mean, unless you're doing real crossover or something, you're not going to be setting it off planet, for mm -hmm. example, right? You're probably going to be setting it in a real uh, urban type. So you don't write a gritty noir out in the country, right? It just doesn't work. So those things, like the genre right there is already determining the environment, right? And similarly, because you know the genre and you know the environment, not specifically, but determined by the genre, you have a sense of what type of characters you're going to have. You know you're going to need a detective, for example. Um, th but under that, then you've got, you know, well, is it a male, female? Is it a, fe is it a male or female? You know, what's their backstory? Blah, blah, blah. That all can get filled in. But it's just like from the very, very get-go, you're going to already know certain things like you said, without even thinking about it. Like, I know if I'm about to write a book, it's either going to be Monroe, Jack and Jill, or a standalone, right? If it's Monroe, genre is already ticked. Characters are already ticked. Um, and, and we can just skip all that and move right on down to what is it about? If I'm writing Jack and Jill, similar. If I'm writing a standalone, well, then we've got a lot more flexibility. I would, like you, there are some genres that I just would not, no, I would not write a, a gritty detective noir story because I don't know that genre and, and I don't know that I could fill in a meet or tick the boxes of the expectations of that genre. So even though those things are already almost predetermined from the moment I say, all right, what's my next book going to be? They still are determined. Like they still, they're still there. They're still on the page, genre, thriller, you know, whatever. But my question here is, why would, why would you want to start with the premise? Because mm -hmm. so much of that is going to be based on the obligations or expectations of genre. And if you're already as part of a series, then it's going to narrow down what you can write about because series tend to follow, you know, is it going to be a murder? Is it, you know, it, 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 in my case, they're international. So it's almost like, where do I want to write about more than what? So it seems to me that the premise, doing the premise first is very cart before the horse. But 
I don't know. As, as you know, when when you had the when you were going through the first Reggie book, I was starting to work on the second Reggie book, and I went through this process, and I chose to choose a I, I chose to do a premise to to base it around a premise, something that I wanted to explore, and I'm like a third of the way through it, and I hate it. And is it because you hate? the thing that you wanted to explore or you hate the constraints of having to stick. To I'm no longer to... interested in the premise that I wanted to explore. And, it, okay. and it's, I've hardly even explored it, but it, I feel so hamstrung by the idea that I chose this premise that it, it's annoying. And uh, so I, I hadn't thought of that until you started talking about this, you know, walking down the path of, you know, should you choose the premise first or something else? And this is an instance where I chose the premise first. I think it's the only instance in my writing where I chose the premise first. And I, it, it has not worked for me, but it's only, you know, it's a, it's a data point of one, as you often say. Okay. So we're, as we're working through this to our listeners, you know, this is us working through the process, like, of, of just creating a story from nothing. Like I, I don't ever walk into that situation because by the time I have sat down to start writing, I already know a few basic things. I mean, I suppose I did with Jack and Jill's story. I, I really truly created that from nothing, but it still had certain, um, it had a starting point, right? So what we're doing here is figuring out not just what the story is going to be, but a way that the an ideal way for someone that they could copy the process and say, okay, these are the steps I need to go through to figure out what it is I'm going to write. Um, and it may or may not work for people who are completely organic in their writing, because if you're organic, you might start with just the idea for a character and then that's it and you just kind of go from there but from any for anyone who wants to actually uh sort of map it out ahead of time and figure out what it is they're doing um that's that's what we're sort of figuring out here is is where do you start from from nowhere so just based on this little bit of conversation and and rubber duck debugging as it's called i had to look that one up really Um, i've never heard that before the rubber, rubber duck, duck, duck debugging? debugging. Yeah, it's this thing where you basically, it, if you're having, tr- it's programming, started with a programming thing where if a programmer is having trouble um, figuring out the problem with his code, turn around and talk to a rubber duck about it. Explain it to the rubber duck. Okay, and all right. As you're explaining it, your problem sort of solves itself through the discussion part of it. Yes, it's, yes. Okay, so based on this little rubber duck, debugging session here, um, I would say that if we're going to build a story from scratch, that we start with the story world. Um, we know we want to know what genre we're working in, and we want to know um, like a time period. I'm going to write these notes down for myself. We're looking at genre. We're looking at time period. We're looking at setting. Um, we're looking at scope. Like, um, a lot of times, and again, if you're an organic writer, it's going to be different, but when you're sitting down, when I am sitting down or getting ready to 
put out, put together an outline for a book. You know, every every story has a certain level of scope. The Monroe stories are international in scope, but they're very personal. Like they're thrillers, but they never go out and like, oh my God, I need to stop this bomb or the world is going to end, you know, like where the ramifications of what happens, the scope is worldwide. It's always affecting just the people involved, the people on the page. There might be some tendrils that reach out that would affect elsewhere, but the scope is very personal, if that makes hmm, sense, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So when you're thinking of a story and what you're going to write, the the framework, that's what we're building out, is the framework. It's not even the story itself. It's the framework for the story. Um, you You already want to have a sense of those things. And just because you are getting that on paper, it's not locking you in. What it's doing is it's eliminating your options so that as you start to think about things like um, the plot or the characters or whatever, you have a starting point and you're not just like everywhere, like just spilling out like milk across the floor. You're like contained in a cup, right? So that if you decide that you want to go in a different direction, you ha- you can do that cleanly and uh, knowingly instead of just having so many options you don't even know which direction to go. Now, for some people like me, these types of details are more or less going to be sort of instinctu- instinctively I already know it. Like you were saying, like it's, you almost don't even need to get it on paper because you know it. But it's still part of the process of figuring it out. It just happens really fast for some people. But there might be a thing like where I already have the time period and I already have the setting and the scope but maybe I don't necessarily have the world. And by world, that means like um, the geography, the, the, are we in an urban setting or a city? Is it gonna, um, urban setting or the country? Is it gonna move in between? Like what, that type, I might not know that to begin with. So I'd want to have a place for that in my uh, figuring it out worksheet, right? So, we already know in your story, Steve, the the genre. We know that you're writing a mystery, but what's the what box underneath mystery are we ticking? You said uh, you wanted to do gritty, or so yeah. I had I had thought about a lot of this um, ahead of time, although not in the framework that you're talking about. So in terms of the setting, um, I do want it to be in a big city. And because I'm the only big city that I'm really familiar with is Las Vegas. So I'm going to set it in Las Vegas. I do want to, I have to, I have to pause you right there. And I'm so sorry if I don't do it this way, I lose track of my, my process. Mm -hmm. But for the, for the wider audience here, like on my notes, if I was building out this, actually building out the worksheet, I would want the question why that setting Um, so in Steve's case, we already know it's because he's familiar with that city, but the why is really important because if you're not familiar with the place, there's going to be a lot of research involved. And, um, a lot of times with setting, you want the setting to matter to the story. So even though in this case, like Las Vegas is the only big city that Steve knows, there still has to be a reason why it's set in Las Vegas 
for the sake of the story. Like in the story, it has to make sense because if you can just have picked any other city that was happened to be that city because you knew, but the nothing about the story changes, then you're losing all the atmosphere of the story. Like the thing that makes it feel real to that location. So I've just written into my form as something that I need to have in mind when I rebuild this thing is and why that setting. So I'm sorry for the detour. Please continue. I also wanted it to be in a big city because I want there to be a particularly heinous crime. And it's those tend to fit better in big cities than smaller. And I I don't want it to be this, um, you know, this is a short story. So I don't want it to be a, here's how the short story affects, or here's how this heinous crime affects the people in this small town kind of thing. I want it to be the kind of thing, oh, it's like, okay, this is a big city. Yeah, this is terrible. And yeah, something like that happened. Yeah, three we've, months we've ago. Seen yeah, we. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, but it's. It, it, but I did not have clarity on on what you were talking about earlier, which is the scope, and that makes a lot of sense to me. The idea of just making it personal to the people involved in the story, because uh, the the whole idea of these uh, the world is coming to an end if if we don't solve this particular problem. Things the scope of those are just too hard for me to even get my brain around. If that would be like the nine thousand piece puzzle for me, right. and I, I, I just couldn't do it. I need a smaller puzzle. What about your time period? Uh, current time. Current time. Okay. Yes. And so another part of scope, I think, would be it's the time scope. Like, okay, it's set in current time, but how long, what time period does it cover? Is it two weeks? Is it a year? Is it because the scope could be, um, the time scope could be epic or it could be generational or it could be immediate or whatever. So, yes, and it could be all of those things for. If if it weren't a five to eight thousand word short story, right? So it's it probably the the time const the the time scope needs to be less than a week. Okay. See, these are the types of questions that don't show up anywhere on this questionnaire, mm-hmm. and that's where I feel that it one of the ways in which I felt that it just fell far short um, in actual practical the practical side of building out a story and understanding the Lego pieces you're working with in building out this thing. So we talked earlier about premise, and I know this is not going to be a a part of the worksheet, I don't think, or a part of the the framework that you're building. But So I I don't really want to go down the premise path, but there are a couple things I want to explore just from a writing perspective. Um, And one of those is to have a really high action scene. I've, I've, Only that's one? At least one. I, I want there to be at least one really high, anxi- high action, uh, tension escalating scene, just to practice. Okay. So I, I want that to be a part of the story. Okay. So which, so which right. means that it's wouldn't... not going to be a cozy mystery or something like that. Okay. So it's going to be... Um not going to be a thriller but okay so in case people are wondering about the difference between thriller and mystery it's a or thriller and suspense great debate but 
Um, the best way that I've heard it explained is with the thriller, it's basically a ticking clock type thing. Very high octane. Oh, my God, is this going to happen in time? Mystery, you have a lot more time to just it focuses on the actual mystery. So you can have thriller with mystery elements, of course. But well, the, I think that's actually the direction that I want to go. A thriller with mystery elements? Yes. So, okay. I, you know, I said at least one scene. It could be the whole thing is, is that way. Um, but I, I do want to explore that type of thing. So I don't want to ex- exclude the idea of uh, a ticking clock. Um, the tension just keeps rising throughout the story as we have to resolve this problem um, or solve this mystery before something terrible happens to someone who's a part of the story. Okay, so one of the things that we are going to encounter when whenever we decide sort of the genre or genre plus subgenre or whatever, we define it, well, then we end up with sort of conventions or obligatory scenes for that genre that we need to be mindful of. So like if, for example, we were writing a cozy mystery, well, we know we'd need some kind of a mystery, whether it's a broken teapot or a body, but body that turns up dead, but no gore. Um, and, but it would be, you know, no swearing, um, light and sort of a, a light hearted nature to it. When we deal with thrillers, we the obligatory scenes for a thriller is that high tension, um, constant. We're, we're getting thrown from one series of danger into the next, and you just don't even know how it's going to resolve itself until you finally get to the end. But you're, it's that constant edge of your seat. What next? When you're dealing with a mystery, the focus. So with a thriller. The focus is primarily on how they're going to get out of it, like what's going to happen next. With a mystery, it's a case of how are they going to solve this? What are the clues? And there's a lot of cross crossover between them, but there are certain things in a particular genre that makes it that genre. You cannot have a thriller without those high-tension edge of the seat, escape by the skin of your teeth uh, type scenes. So you could have the same story without those scenes, and then you fall into the suspense and the mystery category. So if you want to have this be a thriller, then we're going to have to structure it around these key scenes that involve high action, conflict, fights, violence, and skin of your teeth escape type moments. And I think for helpful purposes, like as building out this framework, I think that it would actually be ideal if, and correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of times it's helpful to actually have a few key words tell you what those conventions and obligatory scenes are. So as you're sitting here going, filling it out, you might already know, but or have a sense of it, but then you're like, oh, wait, I don't really want to write all those, you know, high action sequences. Maybe I should move this more into psychological suspense because it's right there on the page in front of you. Or maybe it would be redundant. I don't know. I'm just putting that out there for comment. Hopefully not for comment from me. Because no, I, just I, if, I don't if, have if one. anybody wants, if, if the audience okay. wants to chime in, because I'm going, I'm serious about rebuilding this, um, mm-hmm. this, you know, worksheet, questionnaire, whatever, so that it's practical, usable, and that I can include it 
for Hackcraft students or people who are on Patreon who want access to it, where it's actually beneficial to them. So now's the chance for people to chime in because it's, we've got two data points here, mine and Steve's. <laughs> yes. It would be really yes. good to know what other people think as well. Okay. What's next? At this point, we sort of have our world. Well, we don't, we know it's going to be in a, we want it in a big city. We know it's going to be in Las Vegas. We know that we're setting it in that particular city because you know the city, but also because it needs to be a location where a heinous crime wouldn't be so out of the ordinary. So we know it's going to take place in the United States. And that's easy. There's no international elements involved. Um, and so we have the setting, we have the time period, which is um, current time, and we have the time scope, which is going to be um, less than a week. Um, so we have the framework right there for our story world, so to speak. So then, in my opinion, I would then move to, if it was me, what am I writing about? That's when I would move into the premise, ideas of what the story's about, what's the topic. And sometimes it gets a little bit heady, like you just want to write about a murder. And so how do you say that the story is about a murder? Like that doesn't, that doesn't really work. But it, sometimes it's just really all that it is, you know, like it doesn't have to get all fancy. And when I think about the stories that I've written, okay, using the Jack and Jill as stories as an example, I am writing about family drama. That's what I, that's what the story is about. The story is about the drama and sibling rivalry in the setting of assassins and espionage. And that's kind of what makes it unique is that you don't normally find that type of topic in that genre, but it doesn't have to even get that deep. I don't think I, you know, I want to write about a detective who solves heinous murders. Okay. There you go. You know, um, the way that this current worksheet is built, it asks what topic you want to write about, what's possible with those topics, what are the pitfalls and challenges of these topics. And you outline the story's founding idea, which is sort of like the, the general overview, which would be with the Jack and Jill books, you know, um, you know, rival siblings, uh, end up on a search to find out what happened to their mother type thing. Right. Um, but in, I think in most cases, like I, I think these questions maybe are necessary sometimes for me, they're somewhat redundant because I'm not trying to write about anything, um, earth shattering. I'm not pretending that my books are anything other than just escapist fiction. If I wanted to write about, um, you know, women's issues in Somalia or, um, gosh, any anything that is really uh, requires nuance, needs a lot of uh, maybe research to make sure you're not stealing other people's voices, blah, 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 then... Questions like what are the challenges and pitfalls of these topics would come into play. But I think for most genre writers, it's kind of like it's, it's just extra. It's it's too much. Like that's what turns a worksheet like this into not helpfulness. I guess. <laughs> I so 
those questions do exist currently, but I don't know that we really need to spend a lot of time filling them out for a story like this, as long as we have an idea of what it is the story involves or what the story entails. And I think that when it comes to that type of depth, you almost want to see it more on a character level. Because, yes, the story might be about a detective who solves murders, but the depth that you're looking for, the depth of character, the way that um, the character interacts with himself and or herself in that own environment, that's where you're going to start showing like the possibilities because it's going to show up in that character's reflections in the way that they deal with their own, their way they themselves as a human being deal with the witness of, or the investigation of heinous crimes that are committed against other human beings. Like how does that affect them? How does that impact them? And when you have that sort of, depth show up with the character, then you don't really, you can avoid the, you know, what are the pitfalls and challenges with these topics uh, from the from the grand scope of things. I guess what I'm getting at is when you reflect on things like pitfalls and challenges and whatever, that gives, that tends to give the story a bit more depth because you're, you, you start bringing nuance into it. But it, it doesn't have to be the story. It, it can be the characters. It can be the way that they relate to the world that they're in. And you can have all the depth that you need there without having to get into sort of a headiness of like turning it, turning the story itself into more than what it is. I, I'm not making any sense here, but eventually, <laughs> eventually I will when I finally get this in writing on the page. Okay. So the next thing, the next thing this, this worksheet currently calls for is it, it wants you to outline the story's founding idea. And that's where we're really going to have to do some work here because that's important. Because mm-hmm. once you have the story's founding idea, uh, what it's about, if you can distill that into one sentence, but boil it down, that's where you get your premise. And that, uh, on this entire worksheet, at least this first page of it, the original first page, that right there was the thing that was the most helpful to me, is finding a way to scribble out all these ideas of, of what the story would be about and then boiling it down into one sentence. And then that follows with where it says, you know, what's the story's moral argument? And this was, it took me so long to understand this. And it was only recently on the podcast and working through with Steve that I that I actually began to understand it. But when you when you distill that moral argument down into a single sentence, that's your story's theme. So those are what I feel, those two things are the things that I feel were the most helpful to me on this original worksheet. But right now, I think we, as I'm looking at these things, I'm like, okay, I've got some shifting around and stuff to do to make this work even now for Steve's story. But we're getting close on time for closing out this episode. And we need, in order to be able to move forward and be able to build out this story, like we have the framework for the story world, we need to understand what the story is more or less about, the founding idea. And I think we're going to have to do that off off air so that we can come back and say, okay, here's what it is it is. And then we can work through it and start distilling that down. And we can start talking about um, characters and such from there. You are right. We have reached um, our unofficial time limit. (laughs) 
I wish we had an official time limit, but we don't. I love podcasts where you know. I, there's one that I listen to. He Every episode ends at 44 minutes and 59 seconds. And I don't know how he does it. That is incredibly It has precise. to do with the length of the music at the end that he does. Ha. But it's, it's amazing. But we, we just surpassed 44 minutes and, and 59 oh my seconds. My, my sincerest apologies, guys. We, we do try and keep these shorter than that. But this, I think this is useful, and I, I, love, I love this process. You know, I, I never heard it referred to as the whatever the duck thing was. But Robert the whole duck. idea of, of just um, having an idea and talking it out and the, and the act of talking it out with someone to hear what you're saying um, allows you to really crystallize your thoughts. And Agreed. I think I think that's what we're that's what we're going through. So thank thank you guys for listening as well, and please give us some feedback on on things that um, you know as Taylor as Taylor mentioned. If there are things that you think need to be included in the beginning part of this, um, let us know. And uh, you know we're looking forward to continuing this process. It won't. It's not. This is not going to be a linear linear thing where we've got ten episodes in a row of this. They'll just be every so often. There'll be another episode for this. And but uh, I have as to we assign, work through the process. I have, I have to assign Steve homework right now before we close out um, so that the next time we come together, he's got these couple of things for me is we need to have the story's founding idea, have just a real quick outline of what the story is going to be about. And we need to have an idea of the characters that we're going to be dealing with. And that'll give us enough material to uh, start building out more. Yeah, this. that's the and biggest thing for me is is the characters coming up with the characters because I I ideally would be able to use these characters again um, for uh, for other things, and so I, I would like for them to be repeatable in, in terms of right. the, so it's not just like they're both going to die at the end or right. something like that. So so that'll be the next time we get together and talk about this. That's what we're going to start with. Alrighty, so thank you guys for listening. We will be back in your ear next Tuesday. See you next week, guys. Thanks for being here.